Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Before it actually turns into the dog or pass podcast breaking down UFC 249. Paul and Cody will be on the line in just a minute. I will be removing myself from the situation so I can go listen and hopefully win some cash on UFC 249. But before I do, I have some cash to give away to you, the peoples out there. Step number one, smash the like button for this episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Give me your favorite dog play on the card for UFC 249. Don't be afraid to retweet this or share this and put it into the ether as well. A lot of people are going to be watching this this weekend, so hey, help us out a little bit and share this around to people you know. Maybe uh, it'll lead to a few extra viewers. And if you want to get into a draw for, get this, 100 DraftKings dollars. All you need to do is help out the show. You can do this by subscribing to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, wherever it is. Then you leave a five-star review. Then you leave your DraftKings handle. And you say something that you enjoy about the Pat Mayo Experience. That's it. It can even be as simple as, hey, I like that they give away 100 DraftKings dollars. That simple, all right? Okay, enough of me. I'm getting out of here. I'm putting on my headphones. I'm downloading the podcast so I can go listen to this. Enjoy. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC 249. We are back. Paul Shaughnessy here with Cody Saftik. Well, not here with Cody Saftik. On the line with Cody Saftik. How's it going, Cody? Yeah, nice to be on the line, Paul. Obviously, we're still dealing with this pandemic, but on the plus side, old Uncle Dana came through with a series of events, so it feels like I'll be talking to you lots in the near future, old buddy. Yeah, like, what, three events in the first week back? You know, as long as these ones go off without a hitch and everything goes to plan, you know that Dana's just going to fire cards one after another after another, and, and we're here for it. We are excited about it, but let's uh, not waste any more time. We're going to get right into the action here. We got Tony Ferguson taking on Justin Gaethje in the main event. Tony Ferguson minus 170. Justin Gaethje can be had for plus 150. Now, Cody, here's the thing. When we talked about this fight three weeks ago, Justin Gaethje's coming off of the couch. Don't really have any idea about what's going on, you know, Habib was pulled out like a week in advance. Maybe he knew more because Ali is his manager and he's Habib's manager as well. But like that was a big thing for me really liking Tony Ferguson was that, well, Tony's been getting ready for the biggest fight of his whole career. 
and Gaethje is seemingly coming off the couch. Now you give Gaethje three more weeks to get ready, and uh, I can definitely see the arguments uh, going on the other side. I'm I'm definitely less inclined to bet Ferguson. I don't know if I'm going to get to Gaethje yet. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I think that was one of the big points that we hammered home was uh, was coming in was that it was going to be short camp for Justin Gaethje. I mean, yeah, he's replacing Khabib. This is a huge fight for him. It's a title opportunity. He's never had this big spot. Like, yeah, as far as World Series of Fighting go, but you know, like, he's been anticipating this big UFC title shot. And for him to just jump at the opportunity as quick as he can, come off the couch, that was going to be a big benefit for Tony Ferguson. Not only because, yeah... <clears throat> Think about all the stuff that Gaethje must be dealing with, but also Ferguson just known for his cardio. I mean, he's a guy that we talked about in the last time. I mean, going the distance with Rafael Desanos in Mexico City and seemingly, you know, not tiring at any point, cardio is one of his biggest weapons. And it's going to be one of his biggest weapons in this fight. And it was going to be an increased weapon because of the short camp. So taking that off the table right away, it's like, oh, we got a bit of a problem. And maybe if you're a Ferguson truther, if you're backing, backing Ferguson, you're going to get a probably a little more of advanced version of Justin Gaethje. I would have liked to seen the price reflect that. Tony Ferguson sitting still around 170, not a huge fan. I think that if you're going to be an underdog backer, why not go with Justin Gaethje? Mm-hmm. Here's the issue. Ferguson is very hittable. We know that he's hittable. We know that he's not chinny per se and that he's not getting knocked out, but he has been wobbled a few times. And he's been wobbled by guys like Anthony Pettis, Lando Venata, not no necessarily for their power punching, but, you know, precision strikers, guys with sneaky weapons in their arsenal, maybe they caught him off guard, whatever. But you do see fights like the Donald Cerrone fight where he is there to be hit. And if Justin Gaethje is going to be in the pocket with him swinging bombs, he is going to be hit. It's whether you believe he's going to be standing up to those blows or not. And I do think that Ferguson overcomes it. It's the price that gets me here. I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't argue hard either way saying if you're going Justin Gaethje, you're getting a nice price take. You're getting plus 150. He's going to have a better camp. You know that this guy brings war every single time. You know he's going to go after it every single time. I just don't really necessarily love the style of clash for him in that he's going to push forward. He's going to push forward. He's going to push forward. But the times that we've seen him lose, both times obviously in the UFC, one being Poirier and one versus Eddie Alvarez, it's when he pushes as hard as he can and the guy's there to push back, he mm-hmm. tends to go down. Now, he had full camps. In both of those fights, but still, when you meet a man who is, you know, that that rock, who's going to move first? He has crumpled twice. We have seen the other wins when he's knocking out guys like James Vick. When he when he's getting the big first round KO, looks good, looks spectacular. Is he going to go out there and knock out Tony Ferguson in the first round? I don't think so. Is it possible? Surely it's possible. I just don't see it happening. I see this more being one of those fights that's going to be a war. That's going to be a, a you know a battle of attrition. Who wants it more? Obviously, both guys really want it, so it's not going to. But it's going to be a dogfight. And Ferguson, with the cardio, with the pace, with the fact that he's been training for a fight for months on end, I gotta think that he's going to be able to get it. It's just I don't love the price tag minus one seventy on Tony Ferguson. That's that reflective of Tony Ferguson is a nice size favorite, and we like him. And we have some confidence in him, and I'm not feeling that. I think it's a, I think it's a good yeah. fight. I think it's a close fight. It's just my money would be on Ferguson. If you could have Ferguson for minus 145, minus 155, great, 170, you're pushing it. I don't think it's going to get any better than this, but I do anticipate as the main event comes down, people will probably going to slam the dog. Either they got Ferguson on parlays, they're going to slam to hedge, mm-hmm. or they're going to be chasing something and they're going to slam, or they're going to want some action at the end of the night, and what's the best value for their buck is to take the dog. So if you do like Ferguson, I do anticipate it to get better than 170 as the fight comes up. But as far as right now goes, he is the pick. 
I, I'm just finding it hard to uh, to go heavy with them and, and tie them into different different plays and, and stuff. Yeah, you don't have to be locked. Hey, we said it right off the top of this show. We've got three cards in the first week back. Everything goes to plan. Everything goes all right. There's going to be way more. You don't have to force the main event. Um, yeah, I, I totally understand everything that you kind of just said there. Um, I still think I would be leaning towards Ferguson, but but yeah, it's like got Gaethje coming into that last uh, that last fight. I was thinking more. You know, he had probably about 10 minutes of fury he was going to come out. Now I think he can get into the fourth round, and he's still got some decent cardio. So uh, Ferguson, obviously, you never even, – even though he cut weight, even though he didn't have to cut weight, just to prove it, because that's what – Tony Ferguson's the kind of guy to cut weight when you don't have to cut weight, as they say. But, um, yeah, even him doing that, I obviously – you can never question this guy's uh, gas tank whatsoever. So, yeah, if we get into round four, even if Gaethje's up, you got to expect Ferguson to come on. Great fight. I can't see it not delivering as super exciting. But, uh, yeah. yeah, the price keeps me away from Ferguson as well. I, I, think, I think the UFC obviously wants to come in here. They want to put a banger of a show on. This is probably one of the best offerings that they've put on in company history, let alone recent history. And I think this is that crown jewel at the top of it for sure. I think it delivers either way, unless it was just some quick first-round knockout. And it's like, oh, damn, I really want to see that one play out. But, yeah, to drive the point home for Tony Ferguson, I don't like the fact that he cut weight uh, anyways because he didn't look great. I mean, he looked drained. He looked like a man that just cut weight. Mm-hmm. And then now all of a sudden you got to rehydrate. I don't know what that does to your body. I don't know he's, what that does to your a, body a, at 35 years old. He's a maniac, though. Like, I don't think we can judge him based on how other people react to situations. Yeah, yeah. Now, now this is the final point I just want to nail home real quick, though, is the two losses that Gaethje's had in his entire career, right? The first one against Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez hits this guy 155 significant strikes. Unbelievable. But that's what it takes to put him down. Mm-hmm. Dustin Poirier hits him with 174 significant strikes. That's what it takes to put this down. Very few guys like Tony Ferguson, they 104 against Cerrone, 114 against Pettis, 199 against Rafael Dos Anjos. Like, very few guys can put up over 100 significant strikes. Ferguson is one of those guys. That is what it takes. We'll get to the drafting side of it later on, but uh, I think that volume and output will eventually be the end of it. And listen, is he going to be in some hairy situation? Yeah. Is he going to get hit? Yeah. Is he going to get rocked? Does he do the stanky leg? Potentially. But if he flops to his back, his guard's good enough that he'll just be able to recover. And then once he gets back up, he, he just he just zings back forward. Like, his cardio doesn't take a hit from the damage. It's not like Colby. Colby had infinite cardio. But when Usman put the damage on him, it wasn't that his cardio was letting up. That he was fucking hurt, man. Mm-hmm. Well, Ferguson is different. Ferguson takes the damage. He just keeps trucking. Like you said, he's a madman. Cut from a different ilk. I don't know what the fuck he's cut from. But it's it's some strange shit. And it's championship <laughs> material stuff. And I, I think Champ he prevailed on Saturday. Uh, All right, let's move on to the co-main event here. We've got Dominic Cruz taking on Henry Cejudo for the bantamweight championship of the world. Henry Cejudo minus 225. Dominic Cruz plus 185. I mean, we said this last time Dominic Cruz, you know, came back from multiple years layoff. And it's just like, what's he going to look like? And what did he do? He came in and... Beat TJ Dillashaw. So, who knows? This guy's cut from a different kind of cloth as well. 
But he's been on the sidelines so long. Cejudo seems relatively unstoppable. This was a cherry-picked opponent for Cejudo. It's hard for me. I see a lot of smart people actually picking Dominic Cruz here, and I get it. The 64-inch reach first, uh, from Cejudo versus 68 for Cruz. Cruz, we know the type of style he wants to play. It's fight off of the back foot. It's uh, circle off on angles. It's uh, counter-strike kind of game. He could fight the perfect fight, win a decision against Henry Cejudo. I totally get it. Um, my pick is going to be Cejudo. I haven't bet anything here, though. What about you? Yeah, I think it's another case of price tag running you off a little bit. I can't back Dominic Cruz. I mean, how could you confidently back Dominic Cruz coming off the type of layoff that he's coming off of? Hey, listen, I hear what you're saying, too. Remember when he came off a three-year-long layoff and smoked right through Takeo Mizugaki? But it's like, oh, man, that was a different time. Then you're correct. Another almost two-year-long layoff comes back and he beats TJ Dillashaw. We'll start from there. Did he beat TJ Dillashaw? Like, that was a damn close fight. Huge feather in his cap. He showed a ton. TJ's, in my opinion, one of the best guys still currently. I get he's got the whole doping scandal thing, but... It's a huge win regardless of if it was that close, but I kind of felt TJ should have won that fight, personally. Moving on, he beats Uriah Faber. Now, now this is a key here, Paul. When he came back for the TJ Dillashaw fight, people were talking about layoffs. People were talking about the knee injury. People were talking about all that stuff. He returned to the sport as a 30-year-old athlete. That's like he wasn't even tapped into the prime yet. Like the prime of your career is going to be 29, 30, 31. If you look at the top 15 ranked guys in all the divisions, you do the equation, the average age fighter of a top contender, top 15 guy is 31 years old. That makes sense. So when he came back and he beat TJ, he's 30 years old. And he beats old man Uriah Faber in a grudge match that obviously was in his favor. And it's awesome. And then I see him live in Vegas against Cody. And he gets styled on. Everyone watches it on TV, sure. But you should have watched it from the arena, man. He got styled on, and then he I mean, goes away yeah. for three years. Now, now he's returning, Paul. He's returning as a 35-year-old athlete. I don't know how he's going to cut the weight, right? He's a guy that's obviously gotten a little bit bigger over time. Now he's jumping into what seems like a short-notice situation. I get that he's probably known about a fight for some time. He's always in tremendous shape. Cardio has never been a problem for him. But again, he does have to cut the weight. He does got to drain himself. Who knows about these lingering injuries? Who knows what he's dealing with? It's been a long time. And, and, and we got to back. He's just got a sneaky style. Like, that's what we got to back. Mm-hmm. Is that, hey, dude, the, guy, the guy's really, he's, he's a tricky fighter. Well, the problem with Henry is that Dominic's wrestling is thrown right off. And Dominic's a tricky fighter because he's a good wrestler as well. He can bait you. He can set traps. He can counterpunch. But if you get a little overzealous or over antsy on him, he'll just change levels and take you down. That off the table with Henry makes this probably just a striking battle for, for Dominic. And where Dominic's going to have trouble is, I think, him being on the back foot the entire time, Henry cutting angles, Henry applying the pressure. And Henry showed, especially against Marlon, is that like he's a little tank engine that's just going to keep going. Like, I don't know what it is about him now. The guy is tapped into the best he's been. Now, I know he's 33, so the numbers would say that he's coming to the past his prime as well. But you've seen the pictures as well. Like, you've mm-hmm. seen, hey, this is me 12 weeks ago, and this is me finishing up my camp 12 weeks later. It's like, the dedication, the commitment, the level that he's always been at, he's really coming well, to even, his own. He made a truth out of me that didn't think he'd be a good 35-er, and, and I don't think that Dominic Cruz poses the problem. He wanted Aldo for a reason. You know, I, I fought the best guys in the world. Give me a little fun fight. And him accepting the Cruz fight is him getting that fun fight still. 
So I, I, I got to go with Cejudo. Now he is a big enough favorite that it's like you really got to like him. But he, he, he's shown that uh, so far you, got, you no one's been able to bend his knee. They end up bending the knee to him, and, uh, and I got to go with Henry Suit. We got uh, Francis Ngannou versus uh, Yair Zinho Rosenstrike. Uh, we talked about this fight three weeks ago. Basically, I don't think my mentality's really changed all that much. It's I like Francis Ngannou, but minus two seventy when you're take, when you're talking heavyweights, it's just a really really heavy price to pay. Both these guys are going to stay on the feet, and Rosenstrike. Both of these guys have the death touch, so. I do trust Francis Ngannou's chin. We saw in the uh, in the Miocic loss that like the guy's not going to quit on himself and can take an absolute a beating. But um, it's hard to it's hard to back two seventy, and everyone knows how much I I I bang the drum for my boy Frankie Murder. But minus or minus two seventy, it's just hard to get on board. Anything changed for you on that there, Cody? No, nothing's really changed. In fact, you know the more you you watch media and you check into stuff and you're how is this guy's camp going what kind of camp has he been able to put together like francis and gone looks in tremendous shape and i mean this is a scary human being to begin with but uh but clearly he's coming into his own as well i, I do think that the technical boxing advantage is going to be what carries him over the arizino yours rosenstruck sorry the one thing that I'm maybe thinking a little bit too much about is the leg kick game from rosenstruck and i just think if Ngannou doesn't let his hands go similar to the Derek Lewis fight where he respects the death touch so much. By the way, Lewis doesn't really have the death touch. He's just got like a whopping amount of power, but he doesn't have that like one buzz. That hits no, he's, like more like Don- he he's more like Donkey Kong. He gets you yeah, when he gets he really, you to the, he really when he gets you to, when he gets you to the ground. That's how he actually <sighs> finishes you off. He throws a couple elbows, throws a couple punches, your head bounces off the uh, off of the canvas. That's how Derek Lewis usually gets the job done when he when he finishes people. Oh yeah, I mean he's two hundred ninety pounds. Once he yeah, settles in on top of you, you've got nowhere to go. I mean you're pretty screwed, right? Rosenstruck's a lot more versatile of a striker. Like Derek Lewis is the epitome of someone who pretty much does everything wrong, but but gets bailed out by his his power. He doesn't. He's not very technical guy anywhere. He's just got, you know, he's got that scariness to him. He's got that aura to him, right? So if Francis Ngannou doesn't play his cards right. Rosenstruck, to me, is a better striker, a more refined striker. He's got like 40 pro kickboxing matches on top of this 10-0 pro MMA record. Yeah, it, all it takes is one. Overeem flipped up one time. Ah, he flipped up a few times. The one time did cost him the biggest, though, right at the end of the fight. You make that mistake, it costs you. If Francis lays back a little bit, doesn't go after this guy, that's where I get back to this leg kick game. Right? I think Rosenstruck, the leg kick is there for Ngannou. Guys don't use it because they don't want to get counter from him. Like, why would I leave myself vulnerable when he's just going to look to counter with his own power? He's got mm-hmm. big power as well. But I think because he kind of just stand in a boxing stance, you could wear this guy, theoretically wear this guy down with a kicking game, kind of make him a little bit vulnerable. But I'm sticking with Francis Ngannou. 270, I don't like. I just don't think Rosenstruck is going to stick to a game plan that involves around breaking him down slowly. I mean, with Overeem, he barely threw anything. He threw what mattered in the end. But he waited a long time, and that was a five rounder. This is a three rounder. I just feel he like he's going to wait a little too long. But with Francis, even though he's overcome, losing. yeah, yeah, and, and with Francis, he's overcome the Miocic loss, where it's like the guy can't wrestle and his cardio staff suspect. And he overcame the Lewis fight, where it's like, oh, he's not pulling the trigger at all, with just a string of quick knockouts. 
if it doesn't go the way of the quick knockout, is he going to settle into a pace? Is he going to keep going after this guy? That I don't know. And 270, you don't want to be finding out come the big fight. So hey, I got Ngannou. I do got him. But Ngannou is not a lock to me. Ngannou is not a every single parlay because it's too big of a price for the fact that they're both heavyweights with massive, massive power. Like 270, you got to be real certain. And we all love Ngannou. Boy, oh boy, we all love Ngannou. But again... He has shown in the past that there are some spots to his game. And 270, I, I'm just not fully, fully, fully on board sold. So there's going to be money on him, no doubt about it. I'm going to have money on him. He's yeah. just not going to be one of my key centerpieces. This card in general doesn't really feel like a, a let's line him up with parlays type of card. Like I see paths for a lot Very of fair. I see a pass for a lot of underdogs here. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they win, but you know there are. There are apple pie shitters galore for sure. We got uh, Calvin Cater taking on Jeremy Stevens. Calvin Cater minus 240. Jeremy Stevens plus 200. What you take here? I know, obviously, we talked about this one as well before. Yeah, yeah, I got Calvin Cater. Jeremy Stevens is a very, very fun fighter, but that's what he is. He's just entertainment. He's going to bring in, going to entertain the crowd, but wins and losses at this point don't so much matter. I mean, to put things into perspective, he's 28-17, like, the top of your head, how many guys do you know? Yeah, yeah, Andre Olof, he's on the card as well. I get it. How many guys are fighting at a, the peak level that have lost 17 times? But, hey, he's an entertainer. He sticks around. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Um, but he's fighting the best guys in the world, and he doesn't flop over. He gives everybody a tough test. The Aldo fight he gets knocked out in the first round. But, again, he's, you know what you're going to get out of him. Calvin Cater, I feel like he's still – reaching that top level of the sport. Like, he's still going a little bit away. A lot of guys are actually favoring him over Zabit, and he gave a good account of himself in the Zabit fight. But here's a guy that just seems to be maturing a little bit every time out. He's a good striker. He's a refined striker. That's where he's going to have the advantage over Stevens. Stevens is very loopy. He likes to come in with his power. He likes to rely a little bit too much on his power. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Stevens' basically entire career, and again, this goes back to why do you keep this guy around, even though he seemingly loses his fair share. Uh, He's not getting any younger. It's the guy's a human highlight reel when he does win, you know, the Duho Choi win. It's like, holy shit, what a knockout. The Josh Emmett fight, oh, 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 buddy, what a knockout. The Melendez fight didn't put him away, but he just absolutely poured it on him. And the other guys he gives a tough fight to, but he's just, he's absolutely gatekeeper. And now gatekeepers are there for their role of, if you are an upper echelon talent, if you're either on your way up or you're already a top 10 guy, you beat Jeremy Stevens. If you're not quite the man, if you're not quite that prospect we thought you are, Duho Choi, not, not quite as good as we thought we were, he was. Gilbert Melendez, ah, well, he's officially past his prime. He just, just proved it against, him, against Jeremy Stevens. Like, he's a barometer test. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Calvin Cater is be already beyond that. Now, 240, listen, Bookie already agrees with me. Bookie's saying, hey, we got money coming on, on, on Calvin Cater. And we, we agree that uh, 240, he is a sizable favorite. He should be able to go get the job done. But I just think that... Him being the more technical striker, he's just going to be able to pick his spots, beat Stevens, have a little more output. And Stevens relying on his power is just not going to win the day over a guy that has a great chin. I mean, when have you seen him wobbled, let alone knocked out? He can take a punch. And that's what Stevens is relying on to get the wins. By the way, like the Duho choice fight, he did not win the first round. He just caught him in the second round. When that, doesn't, when that punch doesn't land, when he doesn't get Calvin Cater's respect right away with that shot, I think that's when it's going to start just becoming not a sparring match. I do think it'll be an entertaining fight. Again, you know, Steve's going to bring it. 
but I think it'll be coming increasingly one-sided. And then for that reason, it won't be as entertaining as some of the other fights on the card. But uh, I think Calvary gets the job done. 240, you know, it is what it is. That's the price it's currently sitting at. So if you want action, he is my pick. Stay long, stay out of trouble. That's essentially the game plan for Calvin Cater. We got Greg Hardy taking on Jorgen DeCastro. Greg Hardy minus 200. Jorgen DeCastro plus 170. I'm probably a sucker, but I, I already had, well, I think I already had a bet on it before, and then it was like voided, and then now I've got it again. I'm, I bet my boy DeCastro against, against your previous thoughts. Um, I don't know if it's smart or not, but he's been good to me in the past. And I do think Greg Hardy is, he's long, he's seemingly got decent cardio if he doesn't need his puffer at the time. Um, I don't think he's really a power, like people talk about, or seemingly talk about his athleticism and power. I think it's more the fact that he's able to stay long and fast as a heavyweight that's going to be his key to success. Um, he can totally obviously win this fight, but I don't, I'm not expecting like a Greg Hardy first round knockout. I expect this to be close and it's plus 170. Now I actually got plus 162. So the number is moving away from me. I don't like that all that much, but Jorgen DeCastro is the pick. Jorgen DeCastro is the bet. Tell me I'm wrong. You know what? I've been seeing a lot of people back into Castro. In fact, a lot of good people that I respect back into Castro. And yet the number is going towards Hardy. So I, I couldn't tell you. But yeah, I have Hardy. I have him a little bit even more so than the last time we spoke. Listen, I know we talked about athleticism last time. And DeCastro is a guy that really kind of has a very light record. He was something like two and three as an amateur. Turns pro, fought a pile of kittens on a pile of cans. He fought like three or four cans. And then cashed big for a bunch of guys on Contender Series. And then beat Junior Toff of all people who ran into a straight or ran into the bomb and got himself KO'd. Not at the most spectacular resume. Whereas when you look at Craig Hardy, yet he's very much green. He's very much in the infancy of his game. And yet he's going to Russia and fighting Alexander Volkov in a, it was a three round fight. But cardio didn't seem to be an issue. Accepting a big spot like that over in enemy territory, two weeks removed from another fight, which is you went three rounds in that one. And it, it was a shit show because of the because of the puffer incident. But, I mean, like, it showed me something, right? I don't think ATT is throwing him into these spots that they don't believe him in. You didn't go against Volkov and get embarrassed. It's just he couldn't figure it out. And, and this, that's what's very important here is that he, why wasn't he able to figure it out and make adjustments against Volkov? Well, the adjustments part, he's too green. He's just not experienced enough to make adjustments round to round, let alone on the fly. He can make adjustments fight to fight based on camps that he's going to be able to have at ATT. But he's not an elite-level athlete yet in this sport, and therefore he's not going to be able to make those adjustments. But why wasn't he be able to figure it out against Volkov? Volkov's six foot seven, right? So Hardy's six foot five is nullified right off of that. That size that he brings with his speed, that's taken away. Now his 80 and a half inch reach also taken away by the fact that Volkov's got an 81 inch reach. So mm. he struggled to get inside of Volkov's jab. He just couldn't figure it out. Therefore, he couldn't just stay on the outside and pot shot, which is what he had been doing up until that point. He's kind of gone away, like you said. He used to just blast guys out with his first round knockout 30 seconds into the fight, but but he's not that guy anymore. Like ATT's realized he doesn't have the scary power everyone thinks he does. He needs to rely on the fact that he's very mobile for this mm-hmm. weight class. How many guys cut to 265 and can move like this guy and have footwork like this guy? So let's let's create a game plan and let's cr- 
create a fighter based on that movement and that footwork rather than a guy that can just go in there and bang out of the pocket. And that's what's going to be the key to Jorgen DeCastro, is that he's five foot eleven to Greg Hardy's six foot five. Hardy's not going to deal with any of those height and reach problems that he did against Volkov. He's now going to have that. He also has a six and a half inch reach advantage. So the game plan of just state of the outside, like you said, you know, kind of in the Calvin Cater versus Jeremy Stevens, is like stay long, stay out of harm's way. You know what I mean? Just stay to the outside and pot shot this guy. People want to see a heavyweight banger. They could be disappointed here mm-hmm. because I don't think that that Hardy, the guy that already has money in his bank account, is not looking to go put on some fight of the night and win $50,000. Boy, oh boy. No, that doesn't really matter to him. To Castro, he might be looking to go out on his shield, and he might be making it a very fun fight. But I think Hardy deals with a lot of guys like DeCastro every day in the gym. You know, short, stocky, heavyweights. And he, he's going to have a game plan just based on win the decision. So the price tag's not great. And I'm actually going to take Hardy by decision and, and, and increase that a lot. Now, I could have some Hardy straight up as well. But I think that to get an increased value on it, I think that Hardy just plays it smart, gets the decision. And a lot of people that are billing this fight as two heavyweights clashing, DeCastro's got big power. He knocks out a lot of guys. Hardy, on paper, has big power. He knocks out a lot of guys. No way this thing goes the distance. You know what? I'm thinking I'm going to take the over on it and increase that a little bit with the Hardy by decision. Hardy by decision pays uh, plus two thirty. Um, yeah. So. Over the over is set at one and a half. I think that's probably the better bet. Over one and a half rounds minus one fifty five. Yeah. So that's still minus one fifty five. The reason that I'm going like to take that shot for that you, decision. Go ahead. Yeah, because what I was going to say is like if if the reach and his ability like you know staying at distance like eventually DeCastro could just get really frustrated and just start charging in if that's kind of how you see the fight playing out and so then you don't know if it goes all the three rounds well, over one and a half minus 155 maybe that's the safest play I do I do agree with you, you know in what? terms of yep. how I think this fight will look I just think I just think when I look at Jorgen DeCastro, I think, hey, Alan Crowder should have just toppled right over. But he took Hardy's best shot. And Hardy settled into rhythm. Like, man, I'm tired. Yeah, he got himself disqualified, mind you. But it was like you couldn't put him away. The Ben Sassoli fight, though, that's when I came to the realization of, like, he's not looking to take these risks anymore. He'll just play this outside game plan. Mm -hmm. And against Volkov, it obviously just wasn't there for him, right? Against DeCastro, I feel like it is back on the table in that regard and when you look at my pick so far on the card it's like geez Saf's back in a lot of favorites here he's got Tony Ferguson at minus 170 and he's saying he doesn't love it and and Henry Cejudo's 225 and that's not a great price and we got Francis Ngannou at 270 geez that's got risk on it oh Calvin Cater 240 oh I'm, I'm the brainiac for telling you that play it's yeah. like we need some dog money and even though Greg Hardy is not a dog he's a big favorite I'm thinking that we're going to get a Greg Hardy dog play out of it but we have to take the risk of thinking that DeCastro is going to A, lose, which guys like you were saying he's not going to, and I respect that opinion as well. But B, Jorgen DeCastro needs has to lose, and he needs to stand up to all the punishments that he may or may not take in the last that 15 minutes. Chalk donkey Cody, eh? All right, well, the next one's pretty much a, a straight pick. Well, not a straight pick, but Anthony Pettis is a slight favorite taking on Donald Cowboy Cerrone. These guys will be the main event of the prelims. 
for UFC 249. Uh, they're fighting at 100, uh, 170 pounds, so obviously in a mutual agreed, like, hey, let's not cut weight. Anthony Pettis taking on da- Donald Cerrone, minus 135 Pettis, plus 115 Cowboy. Who you got here? You know what? I'm leaning towards the Anthony Pettis play, of course, of course. Uh, and that would, if that's what we decide on, either talk me in or talk me out of it. But I need to discuss with my boy here. But if I decide to go Anthony Pettis, it would be the first time in three years that I bet Anthony Pettis. He is not my guy. No. He is not my cup of tea. I do not fancy Anthony Pettis. Absolutely not. But, boy, this is definitely a spot for him to take advantage of. I mean, Donald Cerrone is always – the last couple of years I've seen like he was damaged goods, but he always propped up with that classic cowboy performance, you know, that, that one extra performance. And then they gave him the best guy. He got paid very well and they gave him the best guys, and he's losing to the best guys, and there's zero shame in that. Anthony Pettis has also fought the best guys, and he fares no better. You know, he got smoked as well against Ferguson. He had more success than that. He actually, you know, wobbled him and, and had him in a little bit of danger. But, I mean, if he fought Justin Gaethje, do you think it wouldn't go the same way? If you, he fought Conor McGregor, maybe last longer than 40 seconds. But, again, you got two guys that are banged up, but I, you really get the impression with Donald Cerrone that at 37 years old, he's just been in a life time of wars he's got 40 pro fights already on top of a 22 fight pro muay thai career he's lived his life just like an absolute wild man Mm -hmm. and he's in the twilight of his career he's there for some fun fights that's what he's here for and that's why everybody loves the idea of him versus connor not everybody you know the people that didn't like that fight the fight the people that were like this fight's a joke and I wasn't one of those people. I was like, you don't know. Cerrone fights everybody, and he's, he's seen it all. It's not a joke fight. He's got some tools. I think he's going to get fucked up, but he's gonna, he's, it's at least going to be an entertaining fight. It's that Donald's always been there for the entertaining fight, and then for the first time in his career, he, he was. And I get oh. McGregor, and I get it's a huge spot. And Every I get big that, spot in his career. Like, come on, the, the uh, Rafael Dos Anjos fight, same thing. It's like, you, you can come, yeah, the last time you get barnstorm if you, if it's a big, yeah, last time he fought Anthony Pettis, big spots, title fights, big, big situations. If you just come out of the gates firing, he's crumpled. Uh, you know what? You know what I think has to happen? And I saw Donald Cerrone admit that, you know what? Donald showed up to work that day, but uh, the cowboy, cowboy, did not show up to work that day. Everyone should apologize to Stephen A. Smith. He called it. Fair enough. He called yeah. it. All the internet, the the entire internet going after him, saying he's not allowed to say that. But like now, Cerrone comes out in an interview and says exactly what Stephen A. Smith was saying. Joe Rogan, you apologize to Stephen A. Smith. The amount of stuff they put Stephen A. Smith through. Imagine. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of people that are defensive that it's like if Joe Rogan came out and was like, uh, fuck, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes didn't show up or, I don't know, some other quarterback. I guess Patrick Mahomes always shows up. What am I saying? Somebody else in the NFL don't show up. Mm-hmm. People would be like, Rogan, shut the fuck up. Like, you know what the fuck you're talking about. And in fact, Buddy didn't show up. What if, but it's kind of like, man, who, who are you to talk about it? But when if it's Joe Rogan fight, was at the football game watching the football game unravel and a quarterback was horrible and said that that guy did not show up, I I don't know. I'm not the type of person that would get mad at him. Yeah, but, no, no, listen. I mean, especially because they're big-name characters. They're going to have opinions on things. Joe gives opinions on 
all types of whack ass shit. I'm sure he has no idea what he's talking about, but it's like you give your opinion, especially people ask your opinion, you give it. Yeah. Clicks, whatever. You you make a great point. You know, Donald Cerrone admitted by his own standards he didn't show up to the Nate Diaz fight because fuck Nate Diaz got him ahead. And then it was like, oh, dude, then Anthony Pettis ripped his soul out with that body kick. It was less than two and a half minutes into the first round. So around two and a half minutes of the first round, if I recall. Anyways, eh, fuck, I didn't show up. Remember, remember he even has that quote? He's like, oh, I talk so much shit. When I seen him across the cage and I realized, like, uh-oh, I'm fucked now. Mm-hmm. He looks like, That's mad. That's a great mentality. Yeah, this guy looks mad. Then the Rafael Dos Anjos rematch, sorry, the first time around, he gets body kicked. Minute yeah. six seconds into the first round. Let's remove like, all of God that, damn. though, because this isn't a big spot. They're the main event of the prelims, but, like, this is not a spot that should get the blood boiling like some of the other situations I'll tell you, in, in I'll his tell career. You why. No, no, I know, I know. I'll, I'll tell you why it's a big spot. This is a greasy theory. I haven't had a good greasy theory in a Uh-oh. long time, so I'll hit you with one. I'm going to hit you with one right here, right? Uh do you remember when Frank Mir folded up Todd Duffy, right? Yep. Frank Mir, Frank Mir was in a lot of pressure at home from his wife. Fuck, man, you got kids. You're a little older now. You're not the same fighter you used to be. You got to hang it up. And he, he crumples over Duffy. Unbelievable. You know what? It, it might have been, the, it been the, the, the Bigfoot Silva fight. But he goes up to the camera. As soon as he KOs him, he goes up to the camera, and he looks at the camera, and he says, I can still do this. I love you. I can still do this. Saying it to his wife at home watching the fight. I can still do this. Let me do this. Cerrone is a man's man. He's lived his life in the fast lane every step of the way, right? He's been in all these big spots, like you're saying. What revs this guy's engine at this point of his career? Like, what gets him out of bed and makes him want to be the best fighter that he can be? Like, I I don't know. I don't know what gets you excited anymore. Title fights, you've been in them. And you faltered every single time, no questions asked. Headlining fights, yeah, you win some, you lost some. Um, the McGregor fight should have been that thing that really got you up and got you motivated, but it didn't. Now, why is this Anthony Pettis fight any bigger than anything else he's ever come to? He's on a three-fight losing streak. He's 37 years old. People are laughing at him. He's been finishing his last three fights, right? The Tony Ferguson fight, his eye was fucked. He blew his own nose. I'm not saying to get out of the fight, but a guy with that many fights knows what the deal is when you break your nose and his eye swells up, but we give him a pass because he's the legendary cowboy, and he deserves a pass, and we give it to him. There's no problem. And then Gaethje folds him up in the first round, but Gaethje's a top contender, mm-hmm. and McGregor folds him up in 40 seconds. But, but, but Cowboy's now got the pressure. Now, we don't see the pressure because we just see, oh, he's been in big spots because we're not him. We don't feel it, but he's got a family. He's got a wife. He's taking a lot of damage. And what he needs to do on Saturday is he needs to go and decisively take out Anthony Pettis and look at the camera and tell his wife, I can still do this. Ringside, little dangers always ringside. I can still do this. But if he doesn't, if he does, then he loses to Pettis, especially if he gets finished by Pettis. This, this long journey is over, man. The UFC can't keep putting this guy in spots on, on main cards to get fucked up. Because like, even when he wins fights, he's taking damage. You got at some point, Cowboy's going to have his last ride. So, now he's got the goods to beat Anthony Pettis, absolutely. But as far as mental warfare goes, last time he fought Pettis, he got he got smoked out of there. One seventy favors Cerrone, absolutely. He's got the ground game advantage. His wrestling's better than Pettis. If he can get Pettis to the ground, we got to give him the grappling advantage. As far as the striking goes, that's where he's going to run into trouble. He's too slow. He's too hittable. Mm-hmm. 
That's that's what I'm going to come down to. Now, he needs to get two hard rounds in against Pettis, and Pettis fucking quits, which is why I don't bet on him, which is why I haven't bet on him in three years. When the going gets tough, he, he, he's, he's going the other way. It's just I can't confidently tell you, Paul, that Donald Cerrone currently right now at 37, not even all that far removed, like what, four months ago he fought? Mm-hmm. He fought McGregor it was in January, January 18th. Not that long ago, man. I can't back this guy at his current price stage, not a big dog, which he should be, mm-hmm. or at least should be a sizable enough dog. It's like, man, he's plus one fifteen. Like, I, I, I can't, I can't jump at it. Now, what you have is you got a lot of people that just watch McGregor. They know Cerrone now. You got a lot of people that um, I seen someone the other day. They were saying with Woodley Gilbert Burns, they were like, I don't even know what Gilbert Burns is. Why is this? I'm like, man, there's a lot of people like that still in the game. Don't know who these high end guys are. Pettis is not a high-end guy. I mean, Cerrone is very popular. He's not the former champ like Anthony Pettis. He doesn't have the Showtime kick like Anthony Pettis. But people are backing him, and I don't think it's the right kind of money that's backing him right now. So I'm going to take Anthony Pettis, but of course, because I can't trust a guy as far as he can throw him. And believe you me, I can't throw him all that far. Yeah, I'm not going to have a ton invested in him, but he is, he is the play. Can't believe I Cody, – Cody is uh, on board with – Somebody fighting out a goofus sport. Let me just get this right, though. Your <laughs> your greasy theory was that Donald Cerrone has to answer to his wife, is what you were saying? Is that my essentially, is that, theory, essentially my, my is that where you were going theory, My greasy theory is that if Cerrone gets taken out here within two rounds, he lays the gloves in the middle of the cage and says, I'm done. Mm. And why? Because he's probably dealing with the mistress back home. Listen, we're all dealing with our mistresses back home, especially in these quarantine Mrs. times, right? Mistress, mistress. Oh, let's say. Is, is, maybe you have a mistress. Yeah, and buddy, I haven't been, I haven't been knocked out three times in sixteen months, so my mistress ain't ragging on me that much. I don't have a newborn child who wants to grow up to meet his dad and knew what dad used to be like, like his old friends used to talk about him. No, you got to take care of this kid. You got to do what's right. I, I'm not encouraging him to retire. I encourage nobody to retire. Tony Carter is my boy. That motherfucker is the only guy I encourage to retire. But if he wants to fight, I'm going to support it. It is what it is. Cerrone, I'll always support him. It, it is what it is. It's just, yeah, I'm not supporting him with my bank account anymore. And Pettis, oh, I never support this guy with a bank account. But it's like, listen, people want plays. We're breaking down a full card. I'm giving you my picks. Yeah, I like And this. I'm not betting on simulated fights. I'm not betting on NHL 99, Buffalo Sabres versus Toronto Maple Leaf Sims. I'm going to bet on this. I'll have the fights, you know, we're going through them. But I, I, I got to say, I'm a lot more confident laying harder money on Anthony Pettis than I would be at Donald Cerrone, who Anthony Pettis has a ton of question marks as well, right? But the version of Pettis me. that shows up is always, yeah, he's all, it's, it's always the same version. It's always the same version. It's always the same version. Whereas Donald Cerrone, it's two different versions. And the, the version that I don't want to show up, it's, it's bad. It's bad. And I have a feeling that's the one that's showing up here. Yeah, you need With the, Anthony Pettis, it's like it's the same old rinky-dink bullshit, but it could work here. You need the version of Cerrone who gets to round two to show up, and that can be half of the battle. Um, we, let's move on. I hate this matchup for one of my boys. Uh, Alexi Olenek comes on to the card, take on Fabrizio Verdum. This was not a fight that was booked, at least for this card. Um, this was added. 
And we got Verdun minus 310 favorite, Olenek plus 255. Like, essentially, they're priced, they have priced this as, as like a puncher's chance for Olenek. Like, yikes, right? Like, I know Fabrizio Verdum has been compromised. At least his chin has been in the past. That's fine. But, like, the looping type of shots that Olenek, and trust me, I'm like probably one of like 37 people on earth that own Alexi Olenek t-shirt. I'd be wearing it right now if, you know, it wasn't quarantine and we're doing this over the phone. But, um, I mean, how does he usually win fights? He's got to get the fight to the mat. When he gets the fight to the mat, do you really want him down there with Fabrizio Verdum? Like, I feel better uh, Fabrizio Verdum as a minus 310 favorite. I actually feel better about that than I do about Nganu versus Rosenstrike. Um, neither one is a bet because I just don't bet big chalk heavyweights, but um, I don't like this matchup whatsoever for Olenek. What about you? Well, how could you like it for our boy, the boa constrictor? It's like, they, he's got no passive victory. That's awesome. Other than if Fabricio, having been on the sidelines for a very long time, messed him up. Because I mean, again, he's coming off he's coming off a two year long layoff. The last time we saw him against Volkov, he, it, it took him four rounds. Like that fight went four rounds before he completely wheels fell right off, which is fairly understandable. He was forty at the time. Has um, he gotten better? Has he gotten worse? Is, is the chin an issue? I didn't think it was an issue in that fight. He just kind of wore himself out and then got caught. God, but but the problem with Olenek is like, how does he win this fight? So like. How do you like win he's got any a fight? Bomb. He's got a, like the only thing that would even be bettable, I would have to say, would be what's him by knockout here. I'm looking it up on the screen here. Um, Olenek by knockout is plus six sixty five. Like that's the only path. So if you were ever gonna bet it, you'd bet him at like basically close to plus seven hundred by knockout. I think. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying that that's the move. I would just say I would rather do that then bet 255 straight up because I really think that the knockout is basically his only path to victory here. We'll be, like, I think you're kind of saying the same thing. Like, would he win a decision? How does he win a decision here? Maybe, like, pressure wrestling, holding up against the cage. Like, once it, once it goes to the mat, this gets so dicey. And, like, Olenek loves to look for that Ezekiel choke. But, like, you got to think Fabrizio Verdum's going to be ready for anything, like any of those quick little tricks like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, see, again, this this is my point here. Like, how how does a fighter win any fight? It's like, okay, well, my first option, I'm gonna knock this motherfucker out. That that what you're saying is the option. I don't think it's an option. Man. He's got eight KO wins out of fifty eight career victories, mm-hmm. right? Fourteen percent. But it's a very misleading number because he beat a bunch of like cans in the Ukraine back in the day. Like he's he's effectively knocked out one guy yeah. in the last seven years. And it was Jake Roshall who cannot take a punch to save his life. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that he, I don't know that he cracks for Beast Over Doom and knocks him out. Of course, is the fight game and it's MMA and anything is possible. And I'm saying uh, on my perspective, the knockout is just he's not a guy that's traditionally shown any type of power. And for Beast Over Doom, got knocked out by Stipe. He got knocked out by Junior Dos Santos. And uh, yeah, yeah, he, he folded up in the fourth round against Volkov. You know after. Again, I mean, he got tired. It wasn't like he just... It, I don't think that was like him getting caught. This guy's mm-hmm. chinny. 
It was just a bad spot, you know, whatever. No, I'm just saying that I don't, what is the own like what's the other path? Yeah, to yeah. So, for so, Alexi, so, then? so so then right. So so then you move on. It's like, okay, well, if I'm not knocking this motherfucker out, now I'm gonna choke his bitch ass out. And Alexei Olenek's got the most submission wins out of anybody who's fought. I mean, people will argue Travis Fulton and Shannon Rich, but they threw a lot of fights, man. This guy's the real OG legit. Forty six submission victories. What's up? Yeah, that's not going to happen against Fabrizio Verdun either. Never been submitted in his pro career. Former ADCC world champion, not getting submitted. So then it comes down to decision. And and this guy has no cardio. Like, Alexei Olenek can't fight more than five minutes. No. The why, reason he's still a tricky fighter is, like, he can still pull off that quick submission on you. Against Maurice Green, he did get a second-round submission, but, like, holy shit, man. Like, what was going on in that fight? And, that, and that's the issue. It's like, his fights get sloppy real fast. If you've got any degree of power, you put it on him very quickly, and he just can't take that type of damage anymore. He was willing to take that damage. He got a heart of a lion, but you can't match him up against Curtis Blades and Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris because they're all very athletic. Yeah. At least now he's got a fellow 42-year-old fighter, Fabrizio Verdum. But but Fabrizio Verdum, they're sleeping on his uh, his his striking. I mean, he's a Rafael Cordero-trained Muay Thai specialist at heart. Yeah, he's got the jiu-jitsu, but... Man, this guy puts you in the tie clinch, and he just lights you up with knees. And I feel like that's a great pass against Alexei Olenek. A little bit of a shorter man. He's easing the knee right up the middle, right to the body. I don't know that he takes the firepower anymore. I don't know that he takes the kicks. And the main thing is here with Fabricio. Fabricio's just got to make sure he paces him just a little bit. Because he didn't pace against Volkov. He went balls to the walls, tired out, and folded up. Yeah, that was a five-rounder. This is only a three-rounder. But gone are the days where you start a fight with a flying kick, man. Like, don't run out as fast as you can. Don't soar across the cage with some, some crazy move. Just, like, fight fight an old man game plan. You're 42. Fight like Olenek does. You know why Olenek's still fighting? Because he fights to his tools. He's developed a game around, like, how can I use what I still got to last? Fabrizio's still got some stuff left. He's got that striking. There is some striking there. Should he strike with elite-level elite guys? Should he be in there striking with Francis and Rosenstruck and Overeem and Miocic? No, absolutely not. Can he strike with this level of competition? Yes. Can he grapple with everybody? Yes, but he needs to set up those shots. He needs to make sure he doesn't tire himself. He needs to go for positions instead of hold the guy down, man. Who gives a shit? You don't got to try to submit him all the time. If he makes adjustments to his own game plan, even though he's 42, he's got a couple more fun fights left in him. This would be the first one on that. So I got Verdum. But yeah, it was thrown on the card late. The price is, 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 is not, it's 310 Verdum. Like it's everything steep, I've just explained but... to you is, is pretty much outlined there. And yeah, two year long layoff, 42, coming off a loss. It's just he's tailor made to be mm-hmm. Olenek. Like everything, yep. you, everything you can do, I can do better. Like, well, that's this exact case. We got Carlos Sparza taking on Michelle Waterson. Carlos Sparza minus 160, Waterson plus 140. Longtime a friend of Cody Safdick's, Carla Esparza. Um, who's your pick here, Cody? Yeah, Carla and I go way back, but we've also made amends, Paul. I mean, she has been dynamite in that she's got like the heart of a real fighter. She grits it and goes for it every single time. She will try to find a way to win. Every single time. She can out wrestle you, which is obviously what she likes to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what she'll do. She's hard nosed. She hasn't got a great she, no ground and pound. Ground and pound's not in the arsenal. Submission game? <clears throat> I mean, yeah, she choked out Rose Nama Eunice once upon a time, but that's just on paper. Like as far as her last dozen fights have gone in the UFC, like it's all decision. But she's figured out ways to win. She if you can't if you stand her up and you can stop the takedown, she's worked on her striking. It's abysmal. 
but she goes for it. She works hard. She's always throwing. She's getting in your face. I got a lot of respect for what this girl does, but we've been getting underpriced values on her. You know, we've gotten people being like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. She's, she's not a great fighter. She comes in against Verna Janandrova, who can't wrestle for shit, by the way. Mm-hmm. She's a minus 125. Like, oh, man, really? She comes in against Alexa Grosso, who's a boxer from Mexico. She's plus 130. That's all stuff that's easy to get behind. We can yeah. get behind her when she's your even money. We can get behind her when she's dog money. Um, nobody in the right mind better against Tatiana Suarez. So it was like she's made money for us her last three times out. Yep. The issue becomes – now that you're betting her up minus 150, well, we're back on – we like her. We're back on backing this girl. And with that one-dimensional wrestling, I say one-dimensional, even though I just complimented that she's improved her striking, is that like she's not going to strike with Michelle Watterson competently, I, I don't think, for 15. If Watterson she just, can keep she this has on, to go back to being one-dimensional wrestler. Yeah, if Watterson can keep this fight on the mat um, – or sorry, on, on the feet, like she will, she will torch – Carla Esparza, you got to think. But I, I think Esparza is it's kind of like Fabinski a couple of weeks back. Like, Carla's going to come come in. We know exactly what she's going to do. She's going to shoot for a lot of takedowns. But there is not much going on once she gets takedowns. She secures, she gets into your guard, and then, you know, she either throws enough, Hold like, <laughs> pitter-patter shots to – hold her down and successfully continue to hold down or the ref stands it back up. Like that's how it usually plays out. I like as far as it to, to get the wrestling done, but this is a fight. I think you can really get a good sense of what it's going to look like early on. This is a fight that I'll, that I've got earmarked for like live betting, a live betting, like in the first window after round one, whoever wins round one, just bet them by decision. That's, that's the play. You know what? You're uh, 100% right. And whereas I would normally say, geez, Carla might come on a little bit late. Yeah, you, you'll know by the first round everything there is to know. Can Carla get her down? Carla can get her down. I, I, I think that we go in Carla. If Carla gets stood up in that first round, I don't know that mm-hmm. Carla's going to break Michelle two and three. Uh, no. you, you gotta, you, you're you going to have to get at it early. But if you want to look at this fight purely on like the numbers, let's say, Michelle Watterson, as far as her takedown defense, and listen, improving, but she's an atom weight at heart. She's always been an atom weight at heart. And whereas Esparza's not all that big, this is really going to play to Esparza finally being able to fight somebody relatively her size that she can now strength. Now, looking at Watterson, she gave up three takedowns against Joanny and Jacek. Not known for her, her, her wrestling offense, certainly. More of a striker, clearly, obviously, more of a striker. But she was taken down three times by Carlos Barza. All right. She was taken down by Felice Herrick. She was taken down by Tisha Torres. She was taken down by Rose Nama Yunus. She was taken down by Angela Magana. A lot of girls that don't have wrestling pedigrees, don't have wrestling bases, have been able to successfully take her down. She's given up takedowns. When you look at the Carlos Barza outside of Tatiana Suarez, she takes down everybody. Grosso four times. Janet Droba four times. Uh, Claudia Gadelia twice, Cynthia Calvillo twice, Marina Moroz six times, Random Marcos four times. Those those last couple are very significant. Random Marcos can wrestle, taken down four times. Cynthia Calvillo can wrestle, taken down twice. Claudia's takedown defense, very solid, taken down twice. She's taking down girls far better in the takedown defense department than Watterson. And whereas Watterson's very crafty off her back, definitely good grappler, definitely have good submissions. Playing that submission game off your back, everybody tries that against Esparza because they're always on their back at some mm-hmm. point with her on top of them. She escapes submissions. She's a black belt level grappler. 
and she knows what to do to grind out spots and get wins. She's won a couple fights I thought she lost. She lost a couple fights I thought she won. But they're closely contested fights where she gives you the old-fashioned grind. And with the fights that I thought she lost that she won, at some point you're going to have to get up and strike and outstrike her in those pockets to make the judges think, you know what, three and a half minutes of control on the ground doesn't outweigh that minute and a half that you landed all those good strikes. But if Watterson is not stuffing the takedown and she's not scrambling and she's not working over with the striking, it'd be the Esparza decision. So, mm. yeah, I got to go Esparza. It's minus 150, but it's got to be Esparza by decision all day. It's not even going to clean up it much for you, but it cleans it up some. And it, it, this is this is what she does. Fight goes the decision is minus 450 already. We know it's going to decision. We're backing Esparza in it. And, yeah, Esparza for, for the decision – yeah, Sparza by decision, yeah. I see out there, plus 100. Well, there you go. It's even so money. You, so you, you kill that's all an the, easy you call. Kill all that's the an juices. easy call. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, yeah, you're right. That's the play if you like. If you want to get involved in that, I'll probably just bet something live on that fight because I, I do see this going three rounds for sure. Let's got, uh, we've got Hinaldo Jacare Souza taking on Uriah Hall. You liked uh, Uriah Hall last time we were on this program. Souza, minus 130, Hall plus 110. Has anything changed, Cody? Or is this going to be the first dog that you pick? I think so. You know what? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Chalk Donkey Balls Cody picking a dog. up. No, no, no. Balls shrinking up right back inside. Yeah, I'm hitting what? a hard pass on this fight, Paul. I'll oh. tell you why. I'll tell you why. This might be my second greasy theory. This has turned into straight mush. Everybody likes Hall now all of a sudden. Well, I don't like it anymore. Hall can't grapple. Listen, we, we outlined it perfectly the last time. He's got the tools to win. Jacare just admitted that he has to fight because he can't afford not to. He's losing his house. He's got to pay his bills. And he hasn't had a training camp. He's been, using, he's been lifting his wife, wife's like yoga weights, just hanging out. But he's fought his entire life. He's a jiu-jitsu black belt of the highest order. His Muay Thai, pretty good. Chin, always gives it to you. Heart, never question this guy's heart. You can question his cardio, but you can't question his heart. He's going to bring it. We just don't know what we're getting out of him. The fight is basically a pick now, right? You got Hall mm-hmm. at what? Plus 115. So it's not like we're backing an underdog here. Hall has created those magic moments for us when you don't expect them. But now you're expecting one because it's basically a pick Like, you're backing him... If you lose, it's going to have that little extra rub in it. The guy loses that plus 200, it don't matter. Minus 185, it don't matter because the system is you're going to hit more dogs or you're going to hit enough dogs to make that plus money worth it. I, I don't know that I love him for plus 115. If he gives up even one takedown, this is my issue. I'll tell you my issue right now. He gives up one takedown early in the first round, right? He loses the first round. He, I don't think he's getting up. Jacare is tight in the first round he's, he's, he's strong in the first round his cardio is still good his grappling is still good you look at kelvin gastelum it's like this guy is still effective early it's as he gets tired as he starts to wear he starts to get desperate and just starts throwing caution to the wind he's open once he opens himself up hall will be able to catch him but if he just goes up two rounds and pig gases right out uh, he's gonna hold on for decision. This is a pass. I, I, you know what? I dream about this fight in my sleep, and every time I wake up, it's a different outcome. Like it's just—it's a versatile fight. It's a volatile fight. Anything can happen. Hall knocks this guy out. Uh, you got Jacare submits. Hall, Jacare could knock out Hall. Hall could win a decision based on Jacare tiring out. 
I, it, there's too many ways it goes. I'm just not getting a great feel for it. This is a whole carver, like you said. Dog's definitely got a shot. And whereas I'm not backing a dog here. He's plus 115. It's close to even money. I'd have to have a lean on him. I don't have a lean on him. I had some speculation before. We got a good price before. He's the mush play now. I see a lot of guys backing him. And I have a feeling he's one of those guys that, like, if we're all on the same page, like, oh, Jacare's done. Jacare don't got him. Like, Jacare's a desperate man right now. And Hall's always half motivated. So a desperate man versus a half motivated man, yeah, that's a dangerous thing, buddy. That's a dangerous thing. This is a hard pass for me. It's going to be a fun fight, but I got to pass on it. I see Souza at a couple books. Souza by, by submission on a couple books is plus 305. I think you'd have. I think that would be the play, um, if you have anything similar to the. Oh, did that get did that switch already on me? No. Well, something jumped. Either way, uh, yeah, that line seems pretty. It's mine. It's plus two fifty and plus one eighty at other books, but it's plus three oh five at two other books. As I look on bestfightodds.com here. Um, yeah, I kind of think that number's really weird. I don't even know if that line exists. Anyway, let's move on. We got Vicente Luque. Oh, yeah, you sorry. I I would definitely want to move on. Just the last thing I just want to say before we move on on that is that the Ontario the Antonio Carlos Jr. fight was a great indicator that high level black belt on my back. I defended submissions. So that's a narrative sure. we talked about in the last one. Plus three oh five. Plus three oh five. We're not talking about a pick'em here, though, right? Yeah, that's that, that's part of it. It was a huge dog last time. The other thing is, as much as people talk about, like, man, he defended all that shit. It's like, bro, in saying he defended the back take or the, the rear naked choke, he gave up his back yeah. early in the first round. Mm-hmm. Jacquery on your back, it's it's you You're know, gonna it's, have a I bad don't know. Time. You don't want to go right, and it's very likely to happen in the first five minutes. It's whether or not you can get through it and then tire this guy and not don't give up a single takedown in the second round. I'm fairly certain if Paul makes it to the third, he'll win the third. He's just got to make sure he's not down 0-2. Anyways, pass, but then we'll move on. We have Vicente Luque taking on Nico Price. Vicente Luque, minus 275. Nico Price, plus 235. This fight was also booked for what seems forever now. Um, and last time we were on, we said, you know what, Vicente Luque is going to be really dominating this fight all the way up until the point that he just crumbles and, and dies and I don't I think we're always going to feel kind of like this about Nico Price the guy just kind of wins fights in strange strange ways I lost a whole bunch of money fading him um, then I kind of stopped doing that we've we've righted the ship to a degree I don't get absolutely torched every single time this guy's on a card anymore because I kind of started betting him in certain spots Um, I like Vicente Luque all the way around, pretty much, but I'm not going to lie. Main, lane minus 275 and what I expect from Vicente Luque's fights against like Brian Barberina and a lot of other firefights that he's been in is if you get into those types of exchanges against Nico Price, you can definitely pay the price. So I don't really want to get up to minus 275 to be adding them onto parlays and stuff like that, but I obviously see him winning the fight. Um, more often than not, just wouldn't bet it. What about you? Okay, so I got I got Luke, and obviously the degen side of me, I'm going to have him on plays, I'm going to have him on tickets, but like when you opened up the show earlier and you said there's a lot of apple pie shares, he's an apple pie share. Mm-hmm. This is clear mark for that. He's got the price that reflects too much danger. I mean, listen, he's a big price tag. 
he's got to win over Nico Price. That's what people are banking on. And if you rewatch that fight, not even really competitive. He kicks his ass and then submits him. It's a good outing for Luke. Luke since then has fought a lot of mid-class guys, and he looks good against mid-class guys. Now he's fighting a little bit tougher guys that hang around. The tougher guys like the Brian Barberinas that hang around have been giving him punishment. Mike Perry gave him some punishment. Nico Price, if you had never seen the first fight, fits that exact same mold as those other two guys. Like, man, he can take some damage. He'll go in there. If he lands his own power on you, we all know how easy it is to hit Luke. I mean, like, the guy doesn't have the greatest striking defense. If he's there to get hit, why can't Nico Price put something on him? It's like, man, he's just not as technical. I mean, Luke's got good cardio. He's got good fundamentals, but he's a sharper, more accurate striker. He's got a better jab. He's got a better, he works the body well. He's got a great kicking game. And he just, he, yes, he does got the power, but he doesn't rely fully on the power. It's like the shot catches you and he knocks you out, but he's not swinging for it. Nico Price, meanwhile, he's loopy. He's wild. He gets the job done, like we were talking about, unorthodox positions. Like his last fight against James Vick, up kick. How many guys do you know got to win from up kick? Well, he'll outdo you because the Randy Brown hammer fist from the bottom. Literally nobody has one of those. It's like, okay, well, what about the uh, Alex Morono fight where the guy's like dead against the cage and there's no, like the round's done. He's basically a lifeless body crumpled over against the side of the cage dry heaving. It's like, holy shit, man. How has this guy made an entire career out of this? But in the losses, he's getting blown out. Jeff Neal blew him out. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan blew him out. Mm-hmm. Vincente Luque Could blew him out. But of, but, of, but of course, those mid to lower level guys, he, he's having fun fights with them. He's beating them. You know, he's fun to keep around. Now he's getting this rematch against Luque. Mm-hmm. Luque, the, his last three fights are the upper echelon, you know, step up fights that he's had. It went against him. All he's doing now is just revisiting one of the names on those last three lists, and that's Vincente Luque. If he fought Al Hassan again, or if he fought, especially if he fought Jeff Neal again, it ain't going any different. I can guarantee you that. Um, I don't know that he's made those improvements. I don't know. Maybe Luque hasn't had a great camp, and Nico Price is a guy that probably doesn't need a good camp. He's taken a lot of fights short notice, and when you have that kind of wild power and orthodox moves, like what does it mm-hmm. matter if you had a full camp or not, right? You just got to land the shot. Yep. But Luque gets hit. He wobbles. Mm-hmm. But he keeps going, right? And this, something has to be said for that. So I got Luque. It's 270. He's going to shit my apple pie. I'll complain about it on Twitter. People will laugh, you know, but – but I, 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 I can't back Nico Price solely on the basis of he's had some wild knockouts over some chinny guys. We got uh, Bryce Mitchell taking on Charles Rosa. Bryce Mitchell minus 160. Rosa plus 140. Who you got here? Yeah, well, I'm going to have to talk to our boy Pogi Rob, who I assume is our Bryce Mitchell insider. Because yeah, it's funny how both of your boys ended up on the same card. I mean, it's not really all that crazy when you, it's not that crazy when you think about it. Why do you think I like these guys? If John, if John Lineker was still on the roster, he'd probably be here too. All the guys that, the guys that I like, the guys that I like, like to fight and fight often. Yeah. So it's it's no surprise that like the Sam Alvey, for instance, is like the first fight of the night. We haven't got to that one yet, but like, that's a guy who always gets people to call his number and get him a quick fight, quick turnaround. Like, you have Donald Cerrone. He's the king of that. Uh, Bryce Mitchell's trying to be kind of the new Donald Cerrone, I think. Um, Nico, like, all the, like, a lot of these guys, it's, you know, Souza's the one that kind of sticks out like a 
I wouldn't have necessarily expected them. But for the most part, a lot of these guys are the guys that usually get the call on short notice. Yeah, that's that's fair. You know what? I'm shocked Neil Magny hasn't been booked for all three cards. And he really yeah. wanted to jump back in there after the last time. Though, for too. sure. But it's like, yeah. If Lineker was still on the roster, I'd be like, literally just book him in all three. If he loses, mm-hmm. if he gets knocked out, we'll pull him off. If he loses the decision or gets submitted, I'll we'll just fucking put him on the next one. He wants to fight. Yeah. Put him on the next one. He's just bonafide entertainment at all times. This is a fun fight, to be honest with you. Bryce Mitchell is actually kind of proving that he's 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 got a lot of uh, start potential you know mm-hmm. i know that sounds funny you know he's that he's that hillbilly from arkansas but man he's really likable and he's got a nasty game to him like his submission grappling it's making a lot of improvements which you see with these guys that they're hyper aggressive right he's not a great wrestler he's not a great striker but he is hyper aggressive yeah. he gets in there and he creates scrambles when you create scrambles you create opportunities when you create opportunities you can get the job done i got all the world of respect for bobby moffitt bobby the wolfman moffitt i'm a big fan you know, he proved it's like this is a savvy veteran who's an excellent grappler. It was a close fight, but it was like, eh, maybe this guy's making some right moves in the right direction. Matt Sales, also my boy, can't grapple not nearly on the level of tie-in grapplers. It's not that it's a twister. You know, that's a cool finish, very rare finish, him and Korean Zombie, you know, only guys pulling it off. It's not that. It's that, like, he blew right through him with ease. It took him no time to get him to the ground. When he got into the ground, he absolutely dominant. Guy's grappling sick. Now mm-hmm. I'm starting to believe in him, but he's gonna he's quickly becoming a specialist. He hasn't really shown you anything in his striking. The limited amount of striking that you have seen from him, not great. Mm-hmm. The wrestling, it's not great, but he's not big. Like he's only five foot nine. And here's the thing, right? He's from Arkansas. I bet you he is strong as a motherfucker. I bet you this guy's got a great grip on him. Because let me tell you, these kids from the middle of nowhere, haying all season, uh, working on a farm, going out, hunting. They're strong, man. Are you low-key str- just patting? You don't see. Are you low-key just patting yourself on the back because you're a country no, kid? No, I'm a city kid. No. no yeah. I'm not, I'm not, no. You're no, from, no, you're no, from no, the no, sticks. No, you're from the sticks. You got all no, the pictures like, of not, you. Not, at, like, not like that. You, you've bought livestock, Cody. I think yeah, you're. I think you're. I don't. I would not classify level. you as. Listen, I don't. I don't classify you as a city kid. Why? I lived in Toronto, right by you, for like five years. Key. You see, was I not? Was I not pa- working on my farm that entire time? Past tense. Lived. I guess you lived. do come into. Uh, well, in under in other circumstances, you do uh, come into the city. I guess, but I wouldn't. No, no, you're not, Cody. You spend far too much time on the paddock to be considered a, a city kid. You're not a city, as they call them. I'll 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 tell you I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story right here, right? Uh, Frank Trigg, fuck, oh, guy's jacked. Yeah, especially back in the day, he's so fat now. Jesus Christ, it's a, it's a shame. It's shameful, really. But back in the day, oh fuck, he was jacked. Joe Riggs, my boy, Diesel. Where do you think he got that name? He used to be a heavyweight. Guy used to weigh three hundred pounds. Sean Shirk. The muscle shark. The guy was on steroids the whole way. Only popped once because they were only testing right in that certain little cuffs. But holy shit, man. And Carlos Noon goes without saying, you look at that bulldog choke over Pat Miletic, you see every, literally every vein in his body is pulsating. These guys are all strong guys. These guys all have the same thing to say. Matt Hughes, strongest guy they'd ever met in their entire life. Farm boy from Illinois. Working on a farm. Haying. Cattle rancher doing his horses 
and then going to Iowa and fucking a bunch of grown men up and then going back to the ranch. It's like it, they're just they're just very, very strong. That's what I draw back to Bryce Mitchell. It's like his grappling is going to be a problem because he's seemingly strong. I think once he gets you to the ground, he's going to be able to have his way with you. I, I, I got Charles Rosa. I could be talked into Charles Rosa. Charles Rosa does a lot of things right in that he's also a phenomenal grappler. He's a black belt. I know guys that have trained with him. Uh, his former manager, obviously, my boy Chainsaw Charles McCarthy. The guy's grappling is great. We saw that in the Manny Bermudez fights. Like even though he's on his back against Bermudez, who's touted for his grappling, he throws up the submission. Is that he, he's an adequate grappler? If he can stuff out all the Mitchell submissions, then what's the problem? He's a way better striker. He outstrikes Bryce Mitchell on the feet all day long. I, I'm bringing it back to the strength. It's that he's not particularly that strong of a guy. He's more of like a rangy, lanky. He comes from a karate base. Uh, he's mm-hmm. got good kickboxing, but he's you know he's 33 years old against that young 25 year old who's just hungry and wants to get after it. I'll admit at this point Rosa is considered a savvy veteran, which is crazy. He's got 15 fights. He's 33 years old, but it's like he got a lot of injuries, man. He just didn't really compete all that much, and as a result of not competing that much, you know now he's when he does fight, he's got to fight smart. He's got to fight with his tools, and he's got to fight a proper game plan. And he does got all those tools, but I but. I used to think Mitchell doesn't pace himself and he, cause he is strong. He relies on it and he burns himself out, but he goes to decision Tyler diamond and he kind of burnt himself out and he went to decision against Bobby Moffitt. And I did think he burned himself out and the Matt sales fight. He finished him real quick that like, why, why isn't he going to come in? But I, I, I feel like he's a, he's a real prospect. I feel like he's coming into his own. So for that reason, I'm going to have to go with Bryce Mitchell. But in all honesty, I'm very comfortable with the pass in this fight as well. It's not exactly one that I particularly love. Um, I could be talked out of it. But maybe I'm just buying into the Mitchell hype. I feel like he's not going to be a title contender. He's definitely not going to be a world champion. But he's going to be one of these kids that, you know, similar to a Sean O'Malley. Uh, maybe you don't see the upside right away because they're kind of goofy. Like, you don't really see it. But then deep down, it's like Sean O'Malley's scary talent. What he does with that talent is completely up to him. But there's something there. There is. He's just got to put it all together. Bryce Mitchell, fuck, man. There could be something there. And, and, and the fact that everybody else has had a bad training camp, like Rosa has world-class training camps every time, Right. He's at ATT. He switches between ATT Boynton Beach and the main facility in Coconut Creek. He's moved around. The gym's usually packed with training partners. That's how he does his training camps. Putting him in a quarantine training camp would be unlike anything he's ever experienced. Whereas this kid from Arkansas, man, he's had a lot of rough training camps, I bet. I bet this kid's gone to a lot of fights just right off the couch because he likes to scrap. He's he's gonna have the mentality. He's gonna have that slight. It's gonna get. It's gonna take away that experience advantage Rosa has. Make it a dogfight, and I think this guy prevails in dogfight situations. Yeah, bro, Bryce Bryce has his own like channel, his own YouTube channel, and they show all of his highlights and stuff like that. Nah, nothing seems to have stopped with him. But like, he has a really small gym. Yeah, there's like three or four guys rolling in and out. And that's uh, exactly it. He always had the same training. Was uh, TJ Brown? TJ Brown seems to be his, one of his main uh, guys. Uh, who else? I think uh, Violent Bob oh. Ross was there with him as well. It's yeah, good they, company man. It really is. Yeah, no, and he, he, you know, he lives on a trailer on his on his plot of land. Like he lives kind of like an outdoorsy type. He was like planting vegetables and shit. Like this guy is kind of made for this 
type of uh, squirrel hunting, squirrel isolation hunting. lifestyle is kind of right up uh, Bryce Mitchell's alley. So I'm not really the only thing they was saying, like on his little show I watched, he's like, he's like, they say that the, these fights are going to happen. He's like, I don't think that they're actually going to happen, but I'm preparing as if they are. And this was like as of last week. So. Um, obviously everybody's training with that type of mentality right now is like, who knows? Like everything could kind of just drop out at the end, but I really do think that these fights are going to happen. So our final fight that we have is Ryan Spann taking on Sam Alvey. Ryan Spann's the biggest favorite on the card. He's minus four ten favorite smiling Sam Alvey plus three thirty. Um, what's your take here? Listen, 410 tells you everything you need to know about it, um, but I'm agreeing with it. And if I'm chasing better value, because i got to chase some better value in this matchup, uh, Spam by Knockout, uh, I know Alvy known for that durability, known for that chin, but Spam by Knockout, <clears throat> God, i got a feeling Spam by Knockout round one. I honestly do got a feeling about that. Spam by <clears throat> Knockout Spam by plus 185 right there, uh, out there right now. That's Who is Alvi or uh, no span by span knockout. knockout KO slash yeah span by knockout one eighty five plus, plus one eighty five. Now, now here's what we keep in mind: Sam with, always uh, has Sam a Alvey. good chin in the past, but not at two oh five, where he's a lot smaller than guys. Bingo, bingo, bingo! Sam Alvi was known mm-hmm. for his chin. He was known for a cast iron chin. This guy been smacked, and he walked through everything. No one ever knocked this man out. But then at some point, the time I hung out with Sam Alvey, he was a big, he was a big guy. And talking to him, I was like, man, what's your weight at? I was like, oh, you know, 210. Man, 210, 215. You know he's lying about 210. It's a big cut to 85. You get a little bit older. He's got four kids. He's got stuff going on in life. He's 33 years old. You don't want to be making those big weight cuts anymore. But he wasn't. he's not big for 205. He was big for 185. He actually fought on the Ultimate Fighter, if you remember this. He was a cast member of the Ultimate Fighter at 170 pounds. Now, he says 170 took a lot out of him. So 185 is his version of not cutting weight. Sam Alvey never had an ab a day in his life. You know, you, you see him, he's, he's goofy, he's funny, but, like, if you've seen this guy on the beach, would you assume he's a pro fighter? Like, no. You wouldn't assume he's a pro athlete either. But he's not exactly shredded up. So him going to 205, it was always going to be an uphill battle. But it's like, hey, man, the guy doesn't get tired. And you know his strategy at 185 of just not doing shit? Well, it's not a great strategy. It's worked for him. It's not a great strategy because guys at 185, they're a little faster, right? But at 205, it's a, it's a very thin talent pool. And these guys are a little bit slower. Maybe he doesn't have to throw as much. Maybe he can get away with that game plan at 205. But the chin isn't held up. Antonio Rogerio Noguera, Lil Nog. Lil Nog is coming off a massive layoff. Is an old man who's damaged goods legend of the sport fuck respect this man but jesus i i didn't see that coming i didn't think he was gonna knock out sam alvey no bueno woof and then jimmy crude jimmy crude is the polar opposite of noguera you got one guy is is long gone on his way out of the sport legend of the sport and the other guy's just like a young whippersnapper up and comer also knocks him out then he gets clips in abreu well that's actually right in the middle 31 year old Russian killer, doesn't have great Muay Thai, doesn't have great issues, does it a little bit all, doesn't get knocked out there. But again, you see he's not fighting at 205 very well. The only fight at 205 that he's won was, I think, what, the 
Stoy. Yeah, he beat that Marcin Pracnio who ran head straight into yeah, him. Yeah, which we and called. He, and he got a split decision. We, we called that. That was that was so obvious <laughs> when you watch tape on Pracnio. You just what you had to to lose to Sam Alvey. You literally just have to like run straight forward and run into that 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 left. His straight left is pretty well, good. And that's what he does. Um, we you could see on tape that like Pracnio was just going to be a donkey and just run right into it. Um, yeah. That probably doesn't work against Span, but that's really his and only you know, path. You know, well, the worst thing that probably could have happened, Alvy, was winning that debut because now this false sense of shit. I can win a two hundred five. My power mm-hmm. carried to two hundred five. Bro, he ran head first. He actually, Alvy actually drops him. Pragnio gets up and he's like real pissed off. And then, and runs then into it again, proceeds yeah. to run head first. And I'm pretty sure got cut from the UFC and then got knocked out in his fight, first fight outside of the UFC. Just to give you an indication. But regardless, winning that first fight gave him some confidence. Now he fights John Vellante. And if you remember the fight against John Vellante, Sam never pulls the trigger. He doesn't do anything. He literally just stares at him. But when he does pull the trigger at the end of the first round, I think in the second round as well, he wobbles John Vellante. I had Alvi. I had bet Alvi. Alvi got the split decision. I was cool with it because, again, I had money on him, but a lot of people were pissed off because a lot of people thought he lost because he didn't do fuck all. And then he loses three in a row. So there's an argument there that it's like he's not ever looked good at 205. Mm-hmm. And, and now he's taking on Ryan Spann, who's on like a seven-fight winning streak, right? Is listed at six foot five with an 81-inch reach. So he's every bit of a 205-pound fighter, Paul. The guy fought... You know, he's fought as high as heavyweight in the past. He's got a kickboxing background. He's got big power. And he's got to refine. He's working on his submission game. Alvy's wrestling, non-existent. Take down defense, very good. Take down offense, non-existent. He's not going to take down Span. And that's where you got to really make Span work. you got to make Span, he's the long-rangey guy. Get him up against the cage. Work him up against the cage. Alvy does that. He's playing in the middle. If he's playing in the middle against a guy with this type of reach, this type of height, this type of striking acumen, he's going to get picked apart. And then the very last point I want to make on is I got to say about me on Facebook. If you could check him out on Facebook, I suggest doing it for this fight. <clears throat> for the last, like, I don't know, 32 days, let's call it. He's been doing this, like, quarantine diary every day. Whereas every day he just does a little video where he's just like, oh, because he, he, uh, he doesn't believe in the quarantine. Eh? He's like a, he's a non-truther. He's basically just like, shit, shit's made up, right? So oh, he's saying it's a hoax. He's got this thing. I mean, yeah, he, he is from every- Manitowoc, Wisconsin, home <laughs> yeah, of Stephen yeah, know, Avery right? and uh, making a murderer. <laughs> yeah. So to put it in perspective of where this guy's Brandon Dassey. He's a nice guy, yeah, smiling yeah, all the time. But Exactly, right? No, no, he's actually a really nice guy. But again, it's just like every day he's got this little quarantine thing, right? But you, could, you can slowly watch the chain of videos. You can slowly see him get out of shape, man. Like he's not, he's not in very good shape. And mm-hmm. so now he's got this thing where, just to give you a quick rundown on a little video series, the quarantine monster has evolved. And now it's, it's one of his training partners who just wears, like, a dinosaur mask with, like, a hood on. And it's the quarantine monster, and it comes to get Alvy. Anyways, alvy has got to train for this fight now. So now he's posting, you know, hey, me and the quarantine monster are joining sides. And there's videos of him hitting mitts and, like, him moving. And one thing, one thing I never understood, and I never will understand this, right because i'm personally i'm not a fighter this is something only a fighter could attest to right but guys always talk about you know we we talk about ring runs we talk about the uncertainties we talk about is the injury from taking that time off going to be a problem right guys that actually do it they talk about timing i was my timing was off i didn't have my timing down 
It's like, man, you were you were in the gym. You're, is is I, my time was off. You can watch the video and you can very easily tell Sam Alvey's timing is off. He's he's very herky jerky. He's not clean footwork. Mm-hmm. He has not trained in the last thirty eight days. What he does do is takes by short notice. Doesn't have to cut weight because he's fighting at two hundred five now. Got four kids to feed. Lost my last three fights. Like it don't matter. He's taking the fight. So he's not putting himself in a position to win. And if even he was putting himself in a position to win, he'd really have to do all those steps for me to back him, even at this current dog price. But to just say, yeah, the guy hits hard, did at 85 anyways. Yeah, the guy hits hard and had a good chin at 85 anyways. Hasn't trained. Like, I don't know, man. That, that, that's a lot to deal with. I, I can't back Good guy, great guy, funny guy. Deserves to win. And no, that's a lie. That's a lie. I take back the last one. Doesn't deserve to win because he didn't put the time in. Like, everyone's dealing with something. Everyone's mm-hmm. dealing with something in the pandemic. Guys like Ngannou and Sandry Cejudo and Bryce Mitchell even. Let's not even talk about the guys that are super jacked. Let's talk about the guys that are just working hard. Those guys are working hard. Now, you can flip that on to me because you can argue any point anybody ever makes, whether you believe it or not. You can argue any point. You can argue, say, now he's fucking with us. He's only posting that shit to look bad. Like, bro, this isn't not 2008 anymore. People don't do that. So, anyway, I said my piece. I don't think Sam Alvey's in for a good one. Well, that's unfortunate. Let's get to the DraftKings uh, breakdown here. We'll go quickly because obviously we broke down everything else. Uh, you're going to need the winner. Here, I'll, I'll get the thing. I'll get the uh, the chains moving here. You're going to need the winner from the main event uh, between... Uh, Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. I can pretty much assure you of that. Um, with with them being eighty seven and seventy five hundred, respectfully. Um, there actually is like a situation where this goes five rounds, and say Gaethje at seventy five hundred. If it goes five rounds and it's like an absolute war, there's a scenario where like both of them end up being on like the optimal lineup, but. Yeah, you're going to need the winner of uh, Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje. So start there, Cody. Yeah, well, if you're starting at the main event or going – yeah, well, regardless of what side you decide to go with, you're going to want some action on it. But, God, it's – I'm going to say that Justin Gaethje's probably the most owned guy this week. He's 7500 bucks. Yeah. I mean, he, he always gives his best effort. He averages 95 and a half points for start in DraftKings format, he can, yeah, I don't, I'd say he could get the first round knockout, even first in there, been knocked out. Just again, it could be a wild, crazy fight. He could do everything to score you those points. If he doesn't win, and that's where the cash game side of it comes in. Fuck, man, guy probably scores a lot of points, even in defeat. So at $7,500, I feel like he's really a must play. I can see a lot of people stack in the main, the, the main event with both guys. Again, especially if you're going after just a cash game or a heads yeah. up, anything like that. <clears throat> small pool, let's call it. But if you're wanting to go for the big pot, you, you need some bangers, you need some luck here and there, and you're going to have to side with one of these guys. And uh, and yeah, I, I think Ferguson for $8,700. The thing is, is that the other guys that you like on this card, right, they're all expensive. So at some point, you need to take that drop on somebody. So even though you might, you know, Ryan Spann, he's $9,300. Fabrizio Verdun, he's $9,200. Those are both like the safer plays on the card. They're the big favorites. Ryan Spann, in my opinion, gets a first-round knockout. Fabrice over Doom should finish this within one or two. Mm-hmm. If you stack them both, that's your money. Justin Gaethje presents the option of potentially scoring over 100 points 
and allowing you to also afford those other guys. He has the option of so being he, the number one scoring guy on any card that he's on if he wins. Right, 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 if he wins. So in that sense, I see him just having you know monstrous ownership this week. Yeah, he should Looking be, at yep. the do – you, do you, should I run down this like by card or by pricing on DraftKings? So, so no, yeah, run, run through, through the cards. So Cejudo versus Cruz, uh, 88-74. I'm not really, I'm not in love with this one. What about you? From DraftKings' perspective. Yeah, with, with Henry Cejudo, the $8,800, if I think this is going to be a five-round hard fight, Cruz is tough to hit. I mean, realistically, I mean, what's the guy got? He's got his, his counter-punching abilities. He's got his footwork. He's dynamic. He yep. cuts angles. Yep. He isn't the easiest guy to hit, right? Cejudo not using his wrestling to take him down and scoring points. There's, I'm not getting any ground transit. I'm not getting any of that. Not that I really blew with him anyways. I might just get striking out of Henry Cejudo. If I just get striking out of Henry Cejudo for 25 minutes, I don't know. Again, with Cruz, there's a lot of peacocking. There's a lot of posturing. you got to play a smart fight. But I don't He's know. He's historically actually been that, a pretty good DraftKings scorer. He throws a lot of his strikes. They're all from distance. They count as significant strikes. If Cruz wins at 7,400, he's going to pay off. If, yeah, so the flip side on that is Cruz, and then, yeah, $7,400, he's not going to be able to probably score any points with his own counter-wrestling. But, yeah, if he just gets a striking battle, and the guy can land upwards of 100 strikes, he's always been known for his, his punching volume. But because he doesn't throw much power into anything, he's not trying to line you up with that one big punch. He's just going to touch, touch, touch with four or five punches, and that's going to add up, and that's where he's going to get his points. So I could see him also having some flip side as well, in that maybe he's just able to slowly right. touch away is that without the wrestling without a knockout without a real finish it's 25 minutes like he's, he's a cash game filler play to me i don't think that he's that big gpp i going for all right we've got uh francis Ngannou taking on uh jairzinho rosenstrike 91 71 um i don't like i think Ngannou usually ends up being more owned than he should be and he's not exactly We've always talked about it like, since like day one. He kind of plays with his food. And we were already talking about how we like the over one and a half. You were saying Nganu by decision. So this really very likely could be a situation where it's like a 50-point win and Francis Nganu just like counter or, you know, uh, cleanly boxes, stays safe, uh, gets a decision victory. I do not like Francis Nganu as a DK play. Um, anything you want to add in there? Or are we good? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's got a big price tag. <clears throat> is he one of your key pieces? Is he one of the guys that you want to spend up with, or do you feel better with Purdue and Ryan's fan? Flip side, eh, maybe if there's an ownership thing, but people love him going so much. I think that he will have a good ownership. He's two, or he's $100 and $200 respectively cheaper than those two high-end plays, but he's a little too too pricey for my liking. Rosenstruck could be one of those make-it-or-break-it guys. He could be low ownership. People might be assuming, geez, he didn't really throw much in the overing fight. I think he's going to lose this fight. He's a big dog. Uh, because he does have that ability to knock seemingly any creature on this planet out, he does have it. Both men have it, really. Yeah, you can get him at a bargain price. And if, if he goes out and he springs the win and you've saved money that you can afford your other pieces with, he gets you 100-plus points with the knockout and he has low ownership and you take out a lot of that pool – Maybe he is one of those keys. I'm not going for it. Guys that play multiple lineups, played lots of lineups, max out lineups, yeah, surely have to have some exposure to this man because there's a tremendous upside 
whether you believe it might happen or not, you, you at least have to at least try it a few times on different lineups. If you're a one lineup guy, if you're a few lineup guy, you go with the guys you're trusting, you go with the guys that you think are going to win. As we broke down earlier in the show, right. we're both going with Frankie Murder. So I, I think yeah. that I would pass on, on both men. From All right, I, I'm going to try a different strategy here. I'm going to list three fights here. We're going to rip through uh, them quickly because we already broke down every single fight um, in terms of Yeah, I was just going to go through it like on, on a salary standpoint, just most expensive to lowest. But, yeah, you got a strategy? Let me know. Let me know. I mean, we've, you, well, no. Now, now, you've ju- now that would jumble the entire segment. Um We've got Cater, Cater versus Stevens. Not a fight that I'm jumping. I, I really uh, maybe I would play Stevens in like big field tournaments because I guess the power could translate. He could get the knockout, but not something that I'm picking. Cater's not exactly a DraftKings guy that I usually go to. Uh, I'll be playing Jorgen DeCastro. You clearly will not. I don't think Greg Hardy is really a very good DraftKings player in general. He fights at distance. He averages like 53 points per fight like his style uh, is not when he's not fighting the absolute can of the can of the can he's not exactly a big time scorer we got anthony pettis versus donald cerrone um pettis round one i think is uh, very very much live so i i would probably like I'll, I'll probably have uh, anthony pettis and you know, plug your nose and, and hope that that he shows up and he shows up fast uh, just yeah rip through those three fights there for me cody yeah, I think you nailed it. I, I for did you mention Price Luke? Was that one you want? Well, Cater Stevens. I've been going through the card. Not- I've been going through the card as the card. Like I, I sent you that photo. Just follow the the order of the the fights. Or you're not looking did at you that. Email me the photo. I mean, no, it's, I'm looking at the draft. It's the same order that we've been going go through. The it's the same. I I I know. I uh, Twitter sent it to you. Um, it's the same order okay, we've well, been no, going through. I'm looking, yeah, yeah. I'm just because I got to look at the card and then I got to switch over to see. I have no idea what but you're yeah. looking at. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just gonna rifle it through. Cater, Cater versus Stevens. Cater, eighty nine hundred dollars. He's not actually. He's known as the Boston finisher. Not a huge on finish. Stevens, at least at the very least, he's still cast iron. Eighty nine hundred dollars too much. Who do we talked about? Tony Ferguson and Gaethje. Yeah, you're gonna have to want some exposure on one of these guys. Craig Hardy to Castro. Uh, yeah, eighty six hundred dollars. Paul, you mentioned it. I just don't think Hardy. He's known for this big KO power, but he hasn't really shown it at that little higher echelon of level. De Castro seemingly doesn't have any chin issues, although he hasn't been tested. I'm going to personally pass on that. Mitchell, eighty five hundred dollars. This is a card because there's a lot of juicy high end plays you like. Not a ton of stuff on the bottom. These mid range plays are going to be very key for putting your lineup together. And starting off obviously with Bryce Mitchell at eighty five hundred dollars. Um, He'd have to submit Rosa. If he gets Rosa down, he holds Rosa down. I don't know that he's going to get transitions. I don't know that he's going to get the ground and pound. I don't know that he's going to get all that. The takedowns, I'm not big on his wrestling. It's if he does get him down, drags him to the ground, whatever, hopefully gets that submission for $8,500, he would be worth it. Carlos Barza versus Watterson. The takedowns are going to be nice for us, Paul. We could get three, four, maybe five takedowns, 25 points right there. She doesn't do enough with the takedowns, so we're going to have to avoid Carlos Barza. Yeah, there's just not enough with it, right? Jacques Rousseau is the $8,300. Man, I'm tempted. I'm tempted in that. You and I discussed, maybe this guy gets to the back in the first round. He's got to finish early. And he's very similar to $8,200 Anthony Pettis. Both of these guys could get finishes. Both these guys could get quick finishes. And both these guys are cheap. So, you know, at least certainly one of them is worth having in your lineup, if not both of them, and then you could afford some of those bangers at the top. Uriah Hall, there's another guy that's traditionally, you know, hey, $7,900. $7, the upside is good. 
Jacques Drake could be damaged goods, but like he's not someone that just gets shot off one shot. He's a guy that's got to take a bunch of damage. I don't know that Hall gives a bunch of damage as much as he relies on that one shot. Personal pass on Hall. Waterson going to have to have a pass. Very hard to score when you're on your back for the majority of the fight. Charles Rosa, just not strong enough. I think he's also going to spend a majority of the fight off his back. DeCastro, there's a good play for guys like you, 7600 bucks. This guy's got Span. upside in that. Boy, oh boy. The two times you've seen him, he's shown a lot of power. But yeah, he's had guys just charging forward at him. I don't know if it's going to play out the exact same way. I hope it does for my bank account's sake. Uh, I think the only two people we didn't really talk about are Luke and Span, who are two guys up in that top range. Yeah, um, so, we obviously so like Span up. to get the first round finish. I feel like that's probably what seems like the our favorite play up top. I don't know how popular he'd be either. I'm not sure. That's that's what I'm hoping on because I'm talking myself away from guys like Span solely based on I'm going to try to chase a little bit of ownership and I'm personally having a little bit of difficulty construing a lineup. I'm trying to save as much money as possible. So if I look at Ryan Span ninety three hundred dollars, I really like. Him. And I look at Fabrizio Verdum, yeah, and Fabrizio Verdum ninety two hundred dollars. I really like him. And Francis Ngannou, $9,100. I, I also do like him. I'd be comfortable with any one of those three guys. But Vicente Luque at $9,000 has as much upside as those guys. He can put on a striking clinic and knock out Nico Price. We've seen Nico Price get knocked out before. We've seen Nico Price succumb to strikes early in fights before. He can also submit Nico Price. So he's double versatile here. He's not just relying on the striking like an Ngannou or Rosa truck. He can finish this guy both ways. And if he doesn't finish this guy, he could also just go into a straight battle and get a lot of points. Yep. But he's nine thousand dollars, and where that's important is that he's four. He's three hundred dollars cheaper than Ryan Span. Has as much upside. Is riskier. But Paul, we're not playing a cash game right here, right? We no. talked about stacking guys and guys that might lose, but they also might get points. We're going for it, right? So if we're going for it, I, I may need to save that three hundred dollars and take Vincente Luque over a guy like Ryan Span that'll allow me to afford some of those some of those lower level guys. So that's where I feel about Ryan Span. Do like him. Do like him. If I can't afford him, I'm gonna afford him. I have a feeling I can can construct a better lineup that may not may not have him because I'm gonna have to save some of that money. And yeah, I'm not yeah. seeing the upside on Alvis for sixty nine hundred dollars. Puncher's chance, sure, yeah. sure. I'm not in the market of betting a lot just a long shot puncher's chance. A guy like DeCastro might have a better puncher's chance. Sam Alvey's too much of a just like it's too much of a stretch, I suppose. And then the other fight that we did not mention, I think that was pretty much all of them. No, I think we got Donald through all of them. If Donald Cerrone does show up, I don't. I, I again, I don't know that he he's made worth it. He's a mid range guy, but I like that Pettis. Pettis can't finish Cerrone. Don't know that the, the opposite is true, but we'll see. I mean, every fight card's different. Every fight's different, and uh, we'll be right on some stuff and wrong on some stuff. I'm feeling good about this card, but also because there's been nothing going on. Mm-hmm. The lines of this card have been out for a long time. So People long. have had an idea of what these fights are going to be. They've all been steamed. They've all been hammered. They're all capped. I'm not giving you any secret little gem this week because, honestly, I mean, I, I would have had it to give it to you two weeks ago. But hopefully with all these other fights announced, yeah, we just we just roll through this week and we have a good time. And I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be chatting with you. And uh, I'm obviously looking forward to any fights, let alone these fights. It is a, It is a very good card. Quick picks for UFC 249. Take it away. Okay, Pogi Rob Parlay. Hey, 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 hey. He, uh, I, I was told he doesn't want that nickname. Okay. Oh, I don't know if, I don't know. Super Rob Parlay. It's the Super Rob Parlay. <laughs> <Super Rob Parley, laughs> no, we'll just call it quick picks. Uh, 
quick pick parlay. Yeah, he he was he's not up he he wasn't very happy about the nickname Pogi Rob. But that's for You know uh, what, dude? I won't I won't mention any last names here, but remember we had a guy in our office and we all called him Cocaine Kyle. And it was fucking <laughs> I won't funny, mention right? any names, but his name funny. was Cocaine no, dude, Kyle. And I never, I never stopped to think about at the time that we probably ruined that guy's like run with that company certainly. And like, why were we calling him Cocaine Kyle? Like, and, and, I don't know, man. That you know what? I've always considered myself like, fuck, man. I'm not a bully. I never grew up really seeing a whole lot of bullying. Like, I, I don't know. In that moment, I'm like, holy shit, man. We bullied him. Calling him Cocaine Kyle was the worst. Okay, you know what? I apologize to my boy Rob. He's a really good guy. Thing is, is I can't pronounce his last name. Weimarich, you you know it better. We we what what is it? Hey, no 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 no. We're not we're not catering to any of this. We're just not going to call. It the po- saying, we're not going to call it the Pogi Rob. I thought, parla- it a, I thought it was a good nickname. I think he should lean into. I, I think I he should. Wrong and I, I think he should lean into the nickname. Um. So yeah, quick picks for UFC. 249, take it away, Cody. Okay, yeah, so obviously we're short on dogs here, but we are going to go with Tony Ferguson. We're going with Henry Cejudo. We're going with Francis Ngannou. We're going with Calvin Cater, Fabrizio Verdum, Greg Hardy, Anthony Pettis, Carlos Barza, Ronaldo, Jacare Souza, Vincente Luque, Bryce Mitchell, and Ryan Spann. Now, you are correct. I did not take any underdog. Very sad. Very pathetic. Absolutely. Where we're going to try to get some of that dog status is that we talked about Greg Hardy, a decision that's going to give you plus 200 plus that that's that's good enough dog money we also got an even money what was that carlos Sparza by decision you're going to move mm-hmm. that from a 160 to an even money again it's not huge dog money but I, i'd rather i'd rather give you winning picks than why oh, we went on their shield tonight boys got yeah. close like I, there's going to be lots of fights there's absolutely dogs are going to hit i can't truthfully identify which ones i like the most so I'm going to play it's on a little bit safe. That's just running the, the picks down from, from that side of things. Uh, tweet me later on in the week. if I know guys sometimes like to say, you know, hook me up with a two-five parlay, three-five parlay, four-five parlay. You know, we can do that later in the week. But those are the general picks. And then I'd like to cap off the show by bringing it back to the Pokey Rob thing. Charles Crazy Horse Bennett was gifted <laughs> the greatest moniker in the history of combat sports. Charles Bennett refuse the moniker he says i don't want to be crazy horse i want to be felony felony is a how'd shit that work out it's a how did that moniker. work out oh dude he's on a nine fight losing streak no one wants to book him for their shows he's in and out of jail that's probably why he went with the felony nickname it makes no sense don't push away <laughs> this was this was great this yeah. was awesome crazy horse Pulled this is like it's like tim andercuss if he finds it insulting i don't want to insult him he's my boy but like yeah an- just like cuss it's like, like Cus calling himself top. Name. It's like Cus calling himself Top Cat. You know what? If you yeah. search on Google <laughs> Top Cat, you know what doesn't come up anything about Tim Andercus. You search Tim Andercus. Yeah, if you search Tim Anderson, what comes up? It comes up Tim Anderson, the baseball player for the Chicago White Sox. Tim Andercus, entire. He has all of the SEO value. Pogi Rob could have all of the SEO value of Pogi Rob. But, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, yeah, I, I, there's two ways of going about it. See, to throw back real low G old school, real quick for the longtime listeners. But uh, Jeremy Horn, he was known as Gumby, and he hated it. And it is what it is. Motherfucker went tap. Wow, he got tapped late in his career. It's like, oh boy, the guy had, was bendy, so they called him Gumby. Did not like it. But Josh Barnett used to be the babyface assassin. He just changed his own nickname. One day he was just like, that shit's gay. I don't like it. 
and uh, became the war master. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what Poggy Rob is pulling. He's essentially saying, I'm too good to be the babyface assassin. I want to be the war master. Is that what I'm getting out of this? Ask Diego Sanchez yeah. what happened when he became the dream. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ask him. What was uh, – What ask uh, John Copenhaver when he changed his name to War Machine, what happened? He tried to kill Christy <laughs> Mack. Don't try to change your nickname. You know People give you your nickname, you stick with it. All right, Pokey Rob? <laughs> I think that's that's that where I'm example. at. With, that's that's where I'm at with all of this. Any final thoughts there, Cody? No, no, that last War Machine one, I topped everything I could have possibly come up with. That was the best example for sure. That's why changing your own name, yeah. giving yourself a name, is not how it goes. Don't change your nickname uh, or uh, else you may get charged with murder. Those are our final thoughts for this UFC 249 breakdown. Thank you to Cody Safdick for breaking down the fights with me as always. For Cody, I am Paul saying goodbye and good luck. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.